Hey everybody, it's officially draft season, and we here at Upside Swings couldn't do what we do without Global Shop Solutions ERP software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined by the great Stone Hansen, and the next in our series of guests here talk about the Boston Celtics, the great Matt Issa. He's at Matt Issa15, that's M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15. Um, Matt, you are... Probably second only to Corbin Ford in terms of guest appearances on the Upside Swings NBA Draft podcast. So uh, I want to shout you out, man. You do a ton of great work for SB Nation, for Opta Analysis, Forbes Sports, Fan Sided, and of course, you know now you're now you're big time. You were on ESPN for a second. Uh, let's not forget that, uh, Matt, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, it's kind of crazy that. I'm in second place to Corbin because I feel like that guy's got to be the all-time leader in podcast appearances for NBA basketball, just in general. I feel like every he's number he's he's far and away number one. He's yeah. crazy. Yeah, but I I feel good. Um, feel a lot better than Stone, who apparently is on the verge of passing out at any second. I miss Cooper. Hope he's having fun in what continent is he in again? Africa, Africa. I believe. In Africa, he's in Zambia right now. Okay, I hope he's having fun. I hope he's listening. Um, feeling good though. He's definitely listening. Um, he we get feedback from him every once in a while. Like, yeah, I, I watched that. So, uh, or listened, I should say. So, no, he's doing good. Stone, my friend, how are you doing? Uh, doing good. Now that I get to talk to Matt. Um, it's it's been a really rough week in terms of sleep, but um, you know, every time uh, we do one of these pods, I, I, once we start again, I, I start feeling a little more energized. So should be a good pod. I've noticed as I go back and listen to these sometimes that I'm like, I'm, I'm so delirious that I start talking really fast and I just like stumble over my words because I'm talking so fast. So trying to kick that habit a little bit. Matt, before we dive too into the Celtics, I didn't want to ask you, you stopped by the combine you had, I, you know, I'm assuming you had a good time there. Do you want to just tell us, like, just a brief little bit of what that experience was like? Man, um, we all, I know, I remember this podcast that you and Cooper had, I think it was in September, I want to say, when you guys were just venting about, like, you know, life, basketball, philosophy, time, physics. Um, <laughs> and you guys were talking about just getting drained out with basketball. And I've been... I want to say nonstop for the last two years. I haven't really taken too much time off. Um, and I was hoping, I'm like, I was getting really excited about taking time off once the season was over. And then I got to the combine and just, just being around, you know, all those coaches and the scouts. I mean, I was, I'm not going to pretend I was having some serious conversations with like important people, but just being in the same area as them. Um, it's really inspiring. Honestly, it makes you want to work harder at your craft. Um, I think the coolest thing Outside of some of the, the things I heard, the rumblings that just were kind of uh, floating around, uh, the coolest thing was I was taking a piss in the urinal, turned to my right, and Danny Ainge is also taking a piss. And I'm like, oh. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, should I say something to this guy? And I'm like, no, this is not. This is, I've learned in the past that you shouldn't talk to, to other men when they're trying to trying to pee in the urinal. Um, so I wasn't going to test the waters with that guy. But yeah, it was fun. Yes. <laughs> Oh man, this is why we're so tired. We're giggly. Uh, that's that's incredible. And you no, know, I uh, I always get that feeling at basically any level. Like 
like uh for me one of the more gratifying basketball experiences was just kind of doing you know all the stuff i did with the women's basketball team up at wsu and it's just like you know these are people who live it you know and they it, it is inspiring to be like you know like it, yeah maybe someday i can like actually make a living off this damn thing but let's talk about the celtics the celtics had a really interesting season they're on a really interesting like path because they made the eastern conference finals three straight years they broke through one of those times made it to the finals um basically all with the same core but with one key difference each of those years had a different coach um and you know obviously we've heard things like there were people calling for joe mozula's head so there was a chance that they uh might enter next year with a different one i don't think that's going to happen obviously there's some off-season questions we're going to get into but matt just in general what were your thoughts on this celtics team throughout the year yeah um first of all i think the big thing people need to understand i'm going to go on my little rant here is you need you need the the cards to fall your way to win the nba championship like just because you don't win the NBA championship doesn't mean you didn't have like a formula for winning a championship. Like it's not like just cause you've attained like the platonic ideal for roster building that you're going to get the championship. And I think people had this, um, this idea that the Celtics were kind of just destined to do it this year. Um, and I, I think on paper, I still believe that they have the best roster. And I think if you come away with from this season, thinking anything other than the Celtics are the model for team building moving forward, I think you're missing the mark if you don't think that. Um, so I guess that's like my general thought. Another thing, I shout out to Ben Taylor thinking basketball because he kind of said something on his podcast and it really hit me. It's like, I feel like for some reason, like, okay, like no matter what level you are, what team you are, um, there's going to be days where you just don't bring it. Like you're not bringing your 100% A game. But for some reason, people were like harder on the Celtics when they didn't do that in like other teams so and like so they would like really over index that say like oh missoula is not a great leader because they're not bringing their 100 a game all the time if they brought their 100 a game all the time they would like slaughter everyone um and there's probably like a handful of teams every season you could say that about but that's like the point is like you know you can't it's not possible to do that um i don't write i don't bring my a game every article i write 100 unfortunately wish i did um but so yeah those are like kind of my general thoughts i know it's a lot of rambling but we can get a little more focused no i i think that's a great place to start you you mentioned them as like this like template for team building with you know obviously two-star wings i mean people forget his age was a meme for a while jason tatum is only 25 years old Mm -hmm. and he's made three straight conference finals usually that's like you know something that would happen for a top five player in the league when they're like 27 28 29 um, for him to do it at this early in his career, I think really points to um, the idea of future success. I would also say that I think we do like as a fandom have this obsession with like an instant rise. Um, and and the Nuggets to me this year have been a perfect example of like, you know, there's a process here. It's not just going to happen, Rand. Like, it's not just going to happen immediately once you're once you have your team. Like guys grow together. You, you mentioned things breaking their way, certain luck things. I mean, the Nuggets obviously were were great uh, under Jokic in, in 2020, and they and they made the Eastern Conference Final or the Western Conference Finals, excuse me, in the bubble. But they they didn't really break through until this year. And now at this point, up two one. When you guys listen to this, it'll probably be either three one or two two, depending on how Game Four goes. Um, 
and it you know it, it looks like they're in a pretty good shot in a pretty good spot to win a title um and i and i don't i think there's something to take away from that which is just that you know continuity matters and and just getting like like the right little guy makes a huge difference like like bruce brown was an absurdly huge offseason addition even christian brown at 21 in the draft really nice offseason addition and and like we always think of it as like a stars star driven league star driven game but every once in a while those little kind of you know those those little guys will make a huge difference and and i think that's that's something that you know is probably true with the celtics team like they might just be one little roster adjustment or one added dimension to jalen brown or jason tatum's game um you know speaking of jalen brown another thing that's not linear people are always like why is he working on his his like people will quote tweet this stuff where it's like he's doing like these pool workouts right they're like he'll do anything but work on his handle and it's like how do you think how do you think handle like how do you think you improve that like what do you think you think you just stand in a driveway and dribble that's not that's not how you improve your handle at the nba level it's so it's very frustrating but i do want to talk about jalen brown because jalen brown is at a really interesting spot i've I tried to do as much research on this as possible i'm not a cba guy really at all but they're at a point where it's this offseason. He is eligible for a uh, max extension, um, which would take him up to 35% of the cap. Um, and that would be, I mean, obviously huge. Uh, he does have to make all NBA next year for it to be a super max. So like there's potential for it to be lessened based on what he actually does next season. But if they don't do that, he's obviously an unrestricted free agent after next season. So they're kind of at this weird point a lot of people are calling for Jalen Brown trades uh, for, you know, how, however you want to put it, Matt, what do you think they should do with Jalen Brown and how do you think it will go? Yeah. I think Jalen Brown's the perfect case study of you don't, don't get too high on a guy based on like a, when he plays a favorable matchup and don't get too low on a guy when he plays like a, a, a suboptimal matchup, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers, um, for all their strengths as a team, one of their biggest weaknesses in my eye is that they don't have a lot of great point of attack defenders or like defensive playmakers. Um, they don't they don't do a great job of really like kind of uh, gapping. Um, and I think like Brown's biggest struggle as an offensive player is he struggles to dribble in traffic. Right, Miami is. They don't have like a bunch of great point of attack defenders, but they're awesome at like swarming you and gapping the lanes, and that gave him fits, you know. So like at the end of the Philly series, I remember I would look through Twitter, not not anyone really credible, but there was people questioning whether Jalen Brown was actually better than Jason Tatum. Um, and then after this uh, series against Miami, it's like, why would you ever pay this guy any money? You know what I mean? He's barely an all star. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's probably somewhere in between, you know. In terms of the money. Usually I would just say, yeah, I mean, that's Supermax sounds sounds about right for a guy who could be the second best player on a championship team. But the one thing that worries me is this new second apron thing and just how much of a wrench that throws in everything. So, oh man, I know this is a terrible answer to give on a podcast, but I just don't, don't know. I really, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I lean towards the side of, I mean, you had like you you rebuild, you draft, you trade for assets so you can get a tandem like Tatum and Brown. I still think that you can win a championship team. I mean, you could win a championship with Tatum and Brown as your two guys. 
Um, I think that this group as currently constructed, you could win an NBA championship. I thought they could have done it this year. They didn't break their way. So I guess my big I guess my big hesitation is like, how much are they gonna lose this offseason? How much can they make up through through the margins? Can they make like a nice Bruce Brown signing? How much more will be on Tatum's plate? I mean, excuse me, Brown's plate next season. Like if it's like if if Brown has to carry a similar load next season as he did this season, I'm fine with it. You know? But if you're gonna ask for, I don't know, 10, 15 percent like bump, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I that's a bad answer, but that's kind of where I'm at. No, and and I think I I think it's a very even-handed answer because they are at it's a weird spot to be in. You mentioned that second apron. Um I I don't have like all the rules memorized, but it would make it to where it's hard to use like the mid-level exception, which is gigantic in team building, like like very underratedly huge for building a proper championship team. Um and I also believe that it is that the one that restricts sign in trades, or is that just the third apron? I, I again I'm not I, a I, yeah. guy not to become one, but I'm not yeah. one yet. So yeah. I can't I can't fully answer that question. But I know if you do pass that second apron, like the the tax on your assets is is pretty lofty. Yeah. Um, and this is a team that, you know, despite being one of the bigger teams in the NBA, like they have proven in the past that they're not willing to go like super into the tax. This isn't the Clippers or the Warriors where they're gonna pay absorbent amounts and tax fees. Um, but other than that, I will say this roster is pretty locked up. They Grant Williams is a restricted free agent, and I'm guessing they could kind of do whatever with him. Like, would he be valuable back on the team? Yeah, probably, especially as Al Horford ages. Um, his salary next year is only $10 million. He, It's like getting like half because of uh, an extension he signed, I believe, um, or something like that. And, and uh, you know, Grant Williams could fill that role, but also we saw him kind of be marginalized in the playoffs. Um, he's like... I think he uh, in that bubble season is I believe that was his rookie season. He got talked about as like this switch big, and I saw that a little bit. But he's not really that like quick laterally. It's why he couldn't play in the Hawk series because mm-hmm. if he was ever out on an island against um, Trey Young, he was food, uh, and you can't you just can't let that happen. But I still think he's at the very least a valuable regular season player. Um, and then everyone else is like I said is locked up. Malcolm Brogdon will be here next year. Marcus Smart will be here next year. Derek White will be here next year. Matt, do you think there's any like potential for like some big shakeup trade? Uh, obviously, the one people always talk about is Jalen Brown to Portland for the third pick. But do you see that as actually likely, or is that just kind of uh, NBA Twitter fodder? Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I would call it basketball nihilism uh, if any general manager did something like that. Because, like I said, if it seems kind of pointless to even team build asset, you know, asset build at that point, because that's you trade. I guess one thing I wanted to say back about the paying uh, Jalen Brown, I'm a firm believer that Jalen Brown is a top 20 player in the NBA. Okay. Maybe somewhere in that, maybe he's a top 15 player. If you think that's worth it, like 35% of the cap, then I do it. But um, so bad. Like, so you to basically what I'm saying, the reason I re brought that up is because like you have two top 18 guys in the NBA, right? What, like, why would you shake that up? Two top 18 guys in the prime of their lives. You know, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't foresee that. No, I, and I'm with you. And, and it, you said it earlier, you put it in the best way possible where you said you'll do all this drafting um, to build a duo like Tatum and Brown. Like that is, and I'm with you 100% that I think this, 
this is a team that could have won the championship this year. Like, obviously, the Miami thing did not break their way, but I think they would be hard as hell for um, for the Nuggets to guard. And, you know, I think they're as good a matchup as anyone for Nikola Jokic and, and that awesome Nuggets duo. I mean, it's like we're not at a point where there's a there's a Warriors who are just going to win everything. Like, and, and I think something that's become in kind of important in this I don't want to say post Warriors cascade because obviously they won the championship last year, but in that post like absurd trio of stars, like um, you kind of have this where like roster versatility matters. And sometimes it's just going to be getting the right matchup. You know, the Bucks were a perfect matchup for the Suns that, that, that season where they won the championship. It just kind of things clicked that way, but it's not like there's a, we have to build a switching unit because that's the only thing that can beat the Warriors. You know, and and Miami is a tough matchup for the Celtics team with how they play defense, with how they can gap, because the Boston doesn't have like this point guard that can just, you know, run a ton of pick and roll or a passing hub out of the post. They're kind of reliant on more flawed offensive players to be their, um, you know, their big stars on that end. And that makes gapping off them easier. But at the same time, you also had huge Tatum games. So anyways, that's that's a very long winded way of saying I agree with you. Um, and that this team is probably going to run it back and, and they're probably going to be in another great spot to potentially win a championship, be their best regular season team. I feel like we are knocking on the door of a Tatum MVP at some point in the next three years. And that will probably come with a Celtics like one or two seed again. So let's talk quickly about like team needs. Like obviously as a team that's good in the draft, only picking at 35 without a ton of avenues to trade up, you're not going to be looking for players who immediately fill holes. But Matt, if you were going to talk, kind of talk about like general team needs, whether it be through the draft or free agency that this team should be looking to fill, what would those be? Yeah, um, quick side note, caveat, be completely transparent with you guys, those who know me. No, I'm not really much of a draft guy. I probably only scouted four or five guys this year where I'd feel confident kind of breaking down with you guys in, in a fair, appropriate manner. So I'm going to leave most of that to you. But the the two major needs of this team so the first one, I'm going to be talking a little bit in the abstract here, but um, so one of the reasons I think people like, so the thing that the way this Miami Heat team works, right? They have the Heat culture to me, what it means is like, so I imagine that NBA teams, they put their players through some form of situational training that's like similar to what you'd see in the military, where it's like they put them in this environment enough times where they know how to react they have like a, they're very um what's the word i'm looking for i don't have it right now but they're very very reliable they've they've seen the situation many of times they understand how their decision making process should work their decision making tree is tight their execution is crisp right so miami i think they've mastered this where they know for a fact that they can always trust themselves to execute properly right the problem is because of their limitations in firepower if they go up against a team like the Celtics and both teams are executing at full capacity, the Celtics are going to beat them. They have more ponies in the stable. So the Heat's defense, their whole specialty, the whole idea of it is we're going to put you in the mud. We're going to get because we trust our, execu- our ability to execute more than we trust yours. You don't have our training. You don't, you're, not, you're not wired like us, right? And the Celtics' biggest weakness, said it all season, can they, I, I say to myself, I, I describe it as, can they keep the energy in the ball, right? That's their biggest thing. Can they keep the energy in the ball? Can they make sure that they shot, they stay away from their old bucket getting tendencies? 
that got them in trouble in the past. Like, you know, a year and a half ago when there there was the whole uh, Ben Simmons for Jalen Brown trade, the problem was they weren't they weren't moving the ball enough. It, it, it came down to a lot of isolation for Brown, a lot of isolation for Tatum. There was no energy in the ball. But if they are if they're creating advantages, if they're swinging the ball around, if they're hitting open catch and shoot threes, if they're driving the ball, they're they have enough firepower to compete with anyone. Um, I said all of that. So I've realized the more I watch basketball, and the reason that sports are so beautiful is that every skill set, every roster build has a trade-off. Okay, there is no perfect thing, and that's that's what makes sports beautiful because there's no team that's truly unbeatable. If you can. If you could find a way to make those negative trade-offs bad enough where the other team doesn't have as many points as you, you can beat them, right? And so the trade-off to the Celtics, I alluded to this earlier, where they're the perfectly built roster. And why I say that, it's because they have seven guys on that team that I can count on in the playoffs to play to defend, and then on offense to be able to drive, kick, pass, okay? Drive, excuse me, drive, shoot, and pass, right? They can play perfect point five green react basketball, okay? The trade-off, because they have all these rangy wings and forwards that can do this, is you lose a little bit in the ball handling kind of old-school point guard tempo because, again, it's just biological, right? You have, like, these longer guys. You have Tatum and Brown. It's easier to poke at their handle. Why has Kevin Durant always been, like, a high turnover guy? It's not because he doesn't work on his handle. It's just literally his, like, bio, his biomechanics are wired, like, it takes him longer to get the ball after he dribbles it to the ground for it to come to his hip, right? It's easier. That's why the book on uh, Durant has always been to poke at that handle. Same goes with the Celtics team. They have a lot of guys like that. It's easier to attack their handle. And when it's easier to attack their handle, it's easier to muck, muck them up, get them in the mud, take the energy out of the ball, right? So I said all that. So one of the team needs is they need like, a stabilizer, a guy, again, I'm talking in the abstract, but a guy they can trust to kind of like get them out of the mud, right? And so all season long, and the reason I was so high on this year is I thought it was Malcolm Brockton. I thought he was that guy. I thought he had enough poise, enough control. I thought his handle was tight enough. I thought he could be that guy whenever the offense fell into their bad habits, he could be the guy to bring him back. He was hurt in the Miami series. A lot of people don't talk about that. Okay, he only played seven minutes in game seven. He was a minus 15 plus minus. So maybe he gets healthy next year and they don't need that. But if there's somebody in that 35 range, which I think they're slotted to pick at, I think that's like a huge area of need if they can keep the rest of their core together. Before I let you guys take the floor and tell me what kind of players would fill that, the other area of interest that might be a need is if they can't keep Grant Williams. I know there was some stuff between him and Joe Missoula at the end of the season um, I know that he got benched a couple times. I know there's some series where he's a really bad matchup. I think it really hurt him that we didn't get to see them play the Bucs in the playoffs because I feel like, well, first of all, it's like the best matchup for a guy like him, but it would have reminded everyone how valuable having a guy like that on your team is just because of how good he is against a team like that. So He's sneakily one of the best defenders on Giannis in the league too. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, it's, it's him and Bam pretty much. I thought he would have he would have been awesome in this Denver series, quite frankly. But um, I feel like that 35 range is like a really like, and you guys know better than me. It's just a really good area to find these kind of Grant Williams type, like the the draft uh, the draft nerds like you know uh, very like likable like uh, versatile kind of funky prospects. I feel like this is like a nice range to find guys like that. So if Williams ends up you know they end up just not wanting to keep him, 
this could be a nice spot to replace him. So those are kind of my two team needs. Before I actually talk about pick 35, not to not to distract too much, but uh, I would be interested to see them take like some some flyers in free agency. Like, would this be like a good Malachi Flynn, like like low risk flyer spot? I think so. I, I love Malachi Flynn. Obviously, he's from Tacoma. He's one of my first basketball loves. Like, I'm not going to lie to you there. But also, like, I think he is really good. I thought he was better than Peyton Pritchard when they drafted Peyton Pritchard. It seems like Pritchard, like, wants out for whatever reason. And, um, you know, find a way. Like, I, I don't think the Raptors really care that much about um, Flynn. So you probably get him on the cheap. Um, I'd also say that we'll bring up some names who are probably listed at higher than 35 or, or would be considered higher. This draft gets really flat past about, like, 22 23 just like there's like a big drop off from like 11 to the mid 20s and then another huge drop off after like that mid 20s point where it's just it, it feels like there is just a gigantic cavern and guys who we talk we will have talked about at 18 might go undrafted and and there's like just a lot of kind of weirdness but um you know will kind of be probably pretty broad but they can also you know do little things to move up we've seen like teams put together tiny little package, like Gallinari can probably be packaged with 35 to move up to like 22 with the Nets to really get their guy. If the Nets don't want to have two, you know, mid round salaries on their books. So there's a lot of options there. Stone, I'll open the floor to you. Who are some guys that stand out to you as uh, potential targets for the Celtics here at 35? Yeah. I mean, if we're going broad or all over the place, this guy's, I mean, maybe kind of a reach, but I, I think fills somewhat of a need, which I don't love drafting for need, but for a rookie to fill. But I also think, you know, over the course of time, this guy can do that. I'll, I'll say Alex Fudge. Like, I think the defensive versatility this guy brings, um, basically, I, I think he has the potential to really, like, truly actually guard every position. Um, he's obviously a nothing on offense, but I think having someone like that, especially if you were to, for whatever reason, lose Grant Williams. Like I think replacing him with someone that can guard just a multitude of guys and is super duper long, like it just makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you're you're not gonna find probably your everything fits all type need at pick thirty five, but I think um, Fudge can really you know bring them something defensively at the very least, and and I think the Celtics are in a position where they have enough offensively surrounding him to where just putting him in a bunch of cuts, which is the only thing he can do um, might, might, you know, be able to make that feasible. Yeah. So I, I have a couple names that can kind of attack some of the needs. I'll, I'll start with kind of that point guard area. If they could find a way to get Brandon, Brandon Potemski, I think that'd be the perfect love fit. That guy. I love that guy. I also think that um, he would be the, per- he would be the perfect fit. I think he can, play a couple positions. Um, he's a really effective help defender. He can really shoot the ball, can create for others. Um, just a bet at that setting presence. I'd also say Mike Miles is a bet at that setting presence. And, um, you know, I think he's he is like what the picture of J.D. Davison, if J.D. Davison could make it as an NBA player, is, but like actually good and actually with a real shot to be a, a plus NBA player. Um, he can, he just lives at the rim, gets to the rim all the time, can really make reads, can hit some shots, not like elite at anything. And, and obviously his size is going to be a worry for a team that sometimes likes to switch everything, 
but you know betted a setting presence you know in the second round Marcus Sasser is also a guy who I think could potentially do that um just a just a really good like I mean he's won everywhere he's gone he is someone who could shoot he defends he makes plays for others just does everything as for that kind of funkier guy you know, if they can find a way to get a city Sissoko, I feel like his range is a little above this, but you never know in the draft there's fallers. And like I mentioned, trade up ideas. I think that would be an absolutely brilliant fit. Um, I'd be really interested in Jalen Slauson here um, as like your, um, you know, you're better to Grant Williams fit or replacement, excuse me, is just like a really strong kind of four or five type guy who can pass and move the ball. And then this is less a bet at either of those things and more just a guy who I think would be really fun to see here is Craig Porter Jr. from Wichita State. Um, You would have like the two best shot blocking college guards of all time on one team. Um, And I think that is incredibly fun. Um, Matt, I know you don't do a ton of draft work, but there are a couple guys, specifically one who who I know you have in mind. And 35 might be a bit rich, but also, again, you never know. And I mentioned how flat the draft was. A lot of these guys you mentioned at 35 could absolutely go undrafted and still find themselves in Celtics uniforms, especially because once you get past 35, the Celtics could probably be like, hey, if you're going to get a two-way, no matter where you get drafted, you can just tell teams you don't want them to draft you, come to Boston and play on a championship team. So, yeah, Austin Reeves, absolutely. There are a lot of players I could see doing that. So, Matt, who are a couple of names that stand out to you? Is this the part where I'm supposed to do the thing that we talked about? Yes. So um, I mentioned four to six guys that I've been scouting. Um, for whatever reason, I I needed to do that. But uh, one guy, it, I actually got to watch him live six times this year. Uh, I watched his game probably more than any college player I have this year. Um, Amani Bates, you know, the once highly touted uh forward. Was what year was he ranked the top of his class? Um, Since he was fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classified, committed to Michigan State, broke my heart, went to Memphis, then he went to Eastern Michigan. I resided in the Michigan area for those wondering. But so one of the pieces of information I got at the combine, I actually heard this from a couple scouts, was that um Amani and I, you know, man, like I I never never want anything bad to happen to these guys. You know, they play the game that I'm in love with. Um, I only wish them the best in life, but uh, I did hear that Amani tanked a lot of his uh, pre-draft work, like interviews. I think he still so. There's like from watching Amani, right? There's like a world where I could see him kind of playing, not like to that degree, but I could see him playing like a Michael Porter Jr. role on a team. You know, being a spacer, using that high release point to get off your shot, you know, do it some off the dribble work, a little bit of playmaking, um, you know, have him come off pin downs, et cetera, et cetera. But I guess he just doesn't see himself. I guess he, um, one scout told me that he sees himself as Kevin Durant in the NBA. Uh, so, and I just like, from what I've seen, I don't, I don't see that. Um, like that I never scouted Kevin Durant when he was in college. So maybe Kevin Durant was just, was kind of like that too, but um, I just don't see it. So I do have this um this kind of gets me to so I like while I don't do draft stuff, I have like a philosophy, a draft philosophy, just from what I've seen in the NBA, I think, and I, I'm sure you guys hopefully semi agree with me here, but like I feel like to make it in the league, you need to be either a jack of all trades 
or like you've got to have one skill that you're like silver bullet elite at, right? And I don't think Imani's a jack of all trades. Um, I wouldn't take too heavy of a scout to figure that part out. But um, so the, the idea, the question is, is he good enough shooter slash spacer, like to warrant that like silver bullet moniker or label, whatever. And I don't know if I'm there, man. I really don't. Um, I just, I'll say this. He didn't have like a good spacing situation at Eastern. Um, I also think he, he took a lot of threes, took eight per game, which is a lot high volume. I don't think they were creative enough about like the type of looks they got him. He took a lot of pull-up shots, which always messes with your efficiency. But yeah, that was my mini pre-planned Amani rant. Um, can I see him on the Celtics? Because this is the Celtics pod. That'd be interesting. That would that'd be interesting. I wonder if they could channel that. Because, I mean, they have the defensive infrastructure to make it work. They have the the creation, the advantage creation to get him a lot of good looks. I really like, say what you will about Missoula, but they did, They, I mean, some, especially in the beginning of the year, some of their sets and their ball movement was very crisp. I think they could get him a lot of nice looks. So, I don't know. I'll yeah, say, no, you're yeah, perfect. I, I'll say that I think this team, like a sneaky need is like, and even if this is just a regular season player, someone who can come in and just like really bend the defense with their off the ball shooting. Uh, they just don't have that guy. Um, all their off ball shooters are fine off ball shooters. They don't have a single like, except maybe Peyton Pritchard, who's, you know, 5'10". Like, <laughs> like that's, that's really... Yeah, Hauser, and I love Hauser, and you know maybe we should have brought up Joey, his his uh, his brother up here, Michigan State. Um, but like I I just this team does need I think like how how that's going to work in the playoffs I don't know because the way they like to play defense makes it hard for like someone who's going to be a target like a Bates or like a um, you know um, Andrew Funk who I really like like it's going to make it hard for those guys to to play playoff minutes. But in the regular season, teams are way less likely to just be hunting out your worst defender all the time. Scouting doesn't really work like that in the NBA. Um, they, I just think that they could really use a guy to come in off the bench and hit like, you know, four threes uh, per per thirty six minutes and just bomb away off some movement and off their really nice sets that you mentioned. So, if they could get Bates as the UDFA to fill that role. I mean, and also to be fair, Michael Porter Jr. also thought he was KD coming into the league and kind of figured it out. I, I I think I think we can sometimes get a little lost in like how players see themselves because at a certain point, m- most guys will adjust to the league. They will kind of be like, if this is the only thing, if this is what I'm gonna do to stick, then I'll do this. And if if they're the percentage percentile guys who won't. You know, if Amani Bates is just like, I absolutely will not be an off-ball shooter, then, he, you know, it's it's a low-risk thing because you can give him a two-way or you can draft him with the 35th pick and not worry too much about it. But um, I actually wouldn't hate that hate that bet. Um, but I'm with you where it's like you're betting on that shooting being really, really good. And, and his form does not point to his shooting being really, really good. He just has, like, insane pull-up touch. Um, so I don't know. Getting form. Yeah, it's it's but, uh, uh he's like I mean his knees do this every time he shoots so th- not that anyone could see that this is not this is a this is a an audio only podcast but um his his uh 
knee valgus is is insane like really i mean he looks like he weighs about a buck 20 so he, um, but a buck 90 i can i can verify that he's he looks very skinny um i just want a funny story real quick about player confidence and it occurred to me like these guys like you have well first of all make it in the league you have to be cut different i remember you had that one tweet where you were like you hit a three-pointer playing pickup basketball and you're like i'm the best shooter in the state and so like if bryce is doing that and i don't doubt that you are okay but if you're doing that like these guys really have to like love themselves and um so i remember it was I don't know if you guys were, I know, I know Stone, Stone was definitely on this, right? But when Lonnie Walker had that huge game three, I think it was against the Warriors, um, the following game, one, by the way, the NBA has done a great job with like their pregame, like little montages they do right before the tip off, done a great job with it this season, right before the following game, there's like a clip of Lonnie Walker saying like, I'm obsessed with my game. I love my game. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, damn, man, like you've really got to be wired different. This guy was like. He was just glued to the bench. No, don't disrespect Lonnie Walker. He's had an awesome year. Um, he's done a lot of good things to kind of move his career forward. But like this guy was glued to the bench for months, and then he came out and had like a game like that. And then he says something like that. I'm like, damn, like, these guys are just wired different, you know? No, I, I that I think it's very true, and, and just in general, like at the very least, you have to have that irrational confidence in what you do, and like. Also, that's a poll. I think I tweeted that like two years ago, but um, no, We've that's been for a long time. Man. We had I, I, I we have known Matt forever, um, but no, that was uh, it's true. Like and and you know, I've spent a lot of time around around you know guys and 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 women who play at high levels, and you do just like there's just a different vibe. Like you know, I one of my best friends is played JUCO for two years and is just now getting on at a Big Sky school. And if you asked him, he would tell you. I think I could, I think I can make it in the league. Like you just, that's just how this, these guys are, you know, it's, it's just a different world than some of us can even fathom. Like even someone like me who, you know, does sometimes have that crazy confidence. Um, Stone, are there any other names that stand out to you as interesting guys at 35 or in UDFA or, you know, whatever range? Yeah. W- one big name that I probably even should have mentioned off the bat, Jordan Walsh to me is like an awesome get here. Um, I, I would love Jordan Walsh if he was here at 35 for the Celtics. I think he's what I was maybe not to the same extent of versatility that Fudge is as a defender in terms of the amount of guys that he could guard. But I think Walsh is like not that far behind. I think he's an excellent defender. And I think a lot of the offensive concerns with him are a little bit overblown. Um, I think there's room for improvement with him. Um, and just the process of like taking him or a guy like Imani, like I think to me, it's been, it feels like it's been a while since they've taken a guy outside of like the very top or in the lottery that is more of a, can, can give more long-term dividends rather than, you know, somebody that's, that's paying, paying off like immediately. And I think Walsh can be a little bit of both, but I think, primarily he's going to be viewed as someone that you know you take your time with and two three down two three years down the line can really pay big dividends so I like that just sort of process with him or even taking Imani like Imani is only 42 on my board so it's not that huge of a reach up and I think just that process of taking someone that it, it you're expecting you know it's going to be rough maybe the first year um, but over the course of time it, it is could be really worth it so 
Um, I just like that thought process for the Celtics because I feel like it's something they don't typically or haven't done in a, in a, quite a bit. This is a weird thing to bring up, but while I have my issues with the new CBA and that I think it's going to hurt players and as like a very pro-union guy at heart, like that kind of worries me. In general, like one big benefit we're going to see from the new CBA is that it's going to be teams are going to have to take the second round of the draft much more seriously. We have seen so many teams, like probably 15 out of the 30 teams in the league do not give a shit about the second round. Not really. They will basically throw away picks. Um, but you you won't be able to do that when you're as desperate for cheap contributors as you're going to be. And obviously we've seen the teams that are uber efficient at second round and undrafted free agency, like the Miami Heat, really succeed consistently. Like, like I love Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's a star. Jimmy Butler was the best player in zero of the series they've played in this year. But they've also not maybe not in totality, but like in like, oh, the next series, I'm done. I for some reason I thought they played the 76ers, but I'm done. Um, see, this is this is why we have Matt on to, to keep me in check. But in general, like a big thing that has helped Miami succeed is that they are able to um, you know, get guys at the margins consistently who can help them win the regular season, can help them win the playoffs, however. And and I think we're going to see that become a, you know, the new like uh, money ball in the NBA. It's like if you hit on second round picks and you're getting a guy who in their second year, especially as picks are going to get older with the NIL, keeping guys in college longer, your second round picks are going to get older and older. Um, you know, a guy in their second year making 1.5 million is like, if they can give you 20 minutes a night in a playoff series, that is a huge win. That is a uh, like, like hard to describe gigantic like dub for a team that is up against that second apron or however. So what's kind of, we like to end this kind of thinking big picture, Matt. And obviously the Celtics are kind of a team where it feels like there's not a ton of different branching pathways for them this off season. But if you were to break it down into best and worst case, let's start worst. We like to get the bad out of the way. What's like the worst case scenario off season for the Celtics. Um, Like the entire off season. Yeah, like just like about this pick, the, the entire because with the 35th pick, the worst case is they take a bump, and like yeah. that's like expected. That's like 70 75 percent of the time they're going to take a bump at 35, anyways. But like, uh, what's your worst case scenario like for the whole offseason? Um, worst case scenario is I think you break up the Tatum round dynamic. I don't think there's any way, I don't think there's a deal out there that exists that I mean, unless you could figure out a way to get Dame for Brown. Um, I don't really think there's a deal out there that exists where you break up those two and the Celtics are like better or the same team. Best case scenario, I would say keep the eight, keep their core eight together. And in the draft, you get another guy you could trust to play playoff minutes. Like if you could get like somebody who's as good as Christian, Christian Brown right now, I feel like that would be like a huge win and you can keep your eight. Um, Yeah. I'll also throw in a uh, trade from Malachi Flynn um, just to, just to get that That's one in there. Uh, oh yeah. No, he's uh forever and ever. Uh, Matt, this has been great. You are of course, one of the best friends of the pod. Like I said, I believe you're second in all time appearances behind only the great Corbin Ford. You do a we'll ton get you of... a t-shirt for it. <laughs> <laughs> I came second in all time upside swings. We'll get you a mug. And all I got yeah. is this t-shirt. Um, no, that'd be incredible um matt you do a ton of great work um obviously your your 
big time on Twitter, but your writing is also great. And it's, you know, you mentioned we've been friends for a long time. It feels like it's like really developed not to, not to steal a basketball term, but I think for, I think for, I like to think for all three of us, but especially, you know, as, as a fan of your work to see you go from all the great stuff you did with the quest for the best to all the writing you do now, breaking down specific players and sets, your Jeremy Sohan piece this, this year was incredible. So one of my favorite pieces of writing of the whole year. So Matt, let the people know where they can find all your great work and, and all the stuff you're doing. Yeah. I mean, the easiest way, cause I tweet out all my work is follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15. So at Maddie 15 I write at SB Nation, Forbes, Fan Slated, Opt Analyst. Um, yeah, no, it was, I mean, like you guys said, man, this is my third time. So this is the third, we've been friends as long as this podcast has been going. This is your guys' third 30 for 30 cycle. Um, yeah, you guys are, I mean, two of my closest, oldest friends, not age, well, I mean, we're all pretty young, but like oldest in terms of like longevity of friendship in the NBA Twitter space. I always appreciate talking to you guys. Um, yeah, no, was all, I wish I knew more about draft stuff so I could be on like all the time. I could have like a little so, window. Someday. Uh, Bryce Simon, yeah, it's, it's so funny. Like when we first had Bryce Simon on, he knew nothing about the draft. And now he's like a big time draft guy. He works for SI. And so every time he comes on now, he's like, yeah, like, honestly, you guys were part of the, you know, I, like first people who got me into it because he was so into basketball and then summer hit and he's like, I got nothing to do. So I guess I'll start watching <laughs> draft players and um now he's super into it no matt is i mean seriously great like i can't i can't recommend his stuff uh, enough especially i mean i'm a big fan of everything sb nation because i think ricky o'donnell is also like a genius um and also a good friend of mine so um shout out everything they do there all his links will be down below so you can just go click things uh, if you want to know more i'll even link the jeremy sohan piece because i do think that was great uh it made stone happy as someone lower on sohan it was uh you know it was it, it was it was a bit, a bit sobering that I probably, I probably, I over-index the no middle. I over-index the no middle. That's my, uh, that's my whole thing. I, I, Scott Drew is, is a true menace to society. Anyways, now we're rambling because I'm hand. tired. Goat hand. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no. And him and Wemby is going to be a really insane defensive duo. But again, that's the pod for another day. This has been great. Matt, again, he's at Mattisa15. That's M-A-T-I-S-S-A-1-5. Uh, I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14 Stone is out for underscore court. You can follow us uh, on Upside Swing. Give us a like or review. Check out the website if you want in-depth breakdowns of players without having to listen to us talk for 20 minutes. Uh, this has been the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. We hope we are ceiling. Thank you. We'd once again like to thank the people at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Thanks again for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks again for listening. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.